And we're back for another edition of the Big Red Louie podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Lane. Rolling alongside of me today is Alex Stingle. How are you, dude? Happy Monday, Jacob. What's up? Oh, you know, just enjoying this beautiful day. Uh, can't really get outside just yet because of, of work, but uh, plan to do that. And we talked about this before uh, we started recording, but the weather outside, like like you told me, it's always on Mondays where we have the most beautiful days. Right. It's a Louisville curse, I think. It, it really is, because even before like the whole pandemic thing, the, the big joke was that we'd work Monday through Friday, and there'd be beautiful days Monday through Friday, and then you could hit the weekend, and then all of a sudden, it's just clouds, rain, wind, cold, dreary, crap. But now that we're actually, I, th- I think we kind of have tricked Mother Nature now to where like we're still working. A lot of us are still working from home, but Mother Nature's like, hey, it's a Monday, you know, like I'm going to throw it in their face with a super sunny day. And now, like, we can actually go outside and do stuff half the time during the day. Like, I can't, and I know you can't, so we're still kind of in the right. same boat. But I'm about right. to... It's no different than in the office or at home. The right. weather is still nice outside on a Monday. Exactly. Surprise, like, surprise. My, my home office right now has just been facing directly out a window uh, all day, every day. So I get to at least kind of gauge the weather from an uh, eyeball standpoint. But I just checked my phone, and it says it's 69 outside. So it sounds nice. really, really nice outside that is nice alex let me ask you this and in terms we are of the last, the last two and a half months or so since we've been in this quarantine social distancing uh what is the the most desperate or thing you've done for sports is it get on youtube and watch an old game have you have you watched some of the, the march madness reruns or some of the nfl games that they've had on is there anything that stands out to you as being like i'm so desperate for sports that i watched this well yes and no um, so I've been, I've been keeping you updated with all the little house projects we have going on. Uh, been kind of keeping busy through that, but also, uh, shout out to my fiance. Cause she reminded me a few weeks ago, uh, right before that ACC, um, you know how they did the ACC takeover, like one team a day. And it was like the yeah, biggest yeah. highlights of, of what they've done in the ACC so far, I think. And, um, actually no, even before that, cause they showed the 2013 sugar bowl, but, uh, but yeah, so she reminded me, and so I, I ended up basically like DVRing that entire day, right? And, you know, sorry to, if there's any soccer fans on here. I didn't record the soccer games. I apologize. But every other, you know what? Every other big Here's game was good, Here's your defense for that. Here's your defense. How many games have we gone to watch this year on the ACC Network, and there's been spillover soccer coverage? Probably yeah, 10. it's true. Football, basketball. So there's your soccer. I'm still jaded. Yeah, because I think what the uh, we were at Presley's house for the first game of the season uh, for Louisville basketball the last. Game. Yeah, yeah for the Miami game. game, and then the soccer game. What between like North Carolina and Wake Forest or something goofy, like they, it went into overtime, and I just yeah. remember Louisville Louisville Twitter at the exact same moment, just simultaneously freaking out online because we couldn't see the start of the game. And if you could, no, it was like Louisville a, Twitter freaking out online. No. I know, right? No, it was like two o'clock. It was about time. You know, it's like a daily, daily freak out. But either way, um, yeah, I didn't watch that, but I ended up watching all our great games. Like I'm sure a ton of other people have like watching Teddy. Like I basically stopped the TV and got to stop like certain plays. Like, Hey babe, watch this. This is the part where our quarterback tries to get murdered on the field by this Florida guy. And then subsequently just tears them apart the remaining three quarters. So it was kind of fun because um, she's not from Louisville. So it was kind of fun, like showing Kate, like the biggest moments of the biggest games and, and, and stuff like that. Cause at least she acted like she paid attention right. and, and cared, which is all a guy wants is like, babe, just watch this play. And she's like, yeah, okay, I'll watch. Like I'll, I'll, well, I'll participate. You know, I haven't dove into anything that I would say is being far out there in terms of old sports. I have watched some clips on YouTube, and then, of course, I watched some of the reruns from the Louisville Highlight Day on uh, the ACC Network because, you know, it's been a long time since I've watched a lot of those games. But for me, Alex, I have been waiting for the NFL draft. It was the, the right. moment in sports that we knew was going to have, you know, a bit of normality to it, at least to the, the circumstances. Uh, and it was great to finally have a live sporting event and I don't know about you, I got so tired of people complaining about ESPN's coverage. Like, they had something else to watch. Well, first off, All Jacob, weekend long. Don't, don't pull an Adam Schefter and say you're finally ready for a live sporting event without acknowledging the women's NBA draft happened a few weeks ago, okay? And there was actually, you know, Louisville women uh, that got drafted 
basically all the New York, from what I understand. So if we have another NBA team to cheer for on the women's side because apparently That's the correct. Liberty the are just Liberty. stocked with Cardinals. That's uh, correct. They've got Asia Durr, uh, Jasmine Jones, and Kylie Shook now. So three Cardinals along with another Cardinal that we'll talk about here in a minute, right, but, also in New York. But no, to your point, it was amazing because like the one thing I just missed in general, not only was it just the live coverage of like just breaking sports news over and over and over about picks and trades and whatnot – we finally got to watch, not that we couldn't have found everybody's highlight on YouTube, but that would have taken forever. I just love the highlights after highlights after highlights of just good plays by good players. You know, like that, I have missed just that kind of like, let me sit down on, on a couch for a couple hours, zone out, and just watch football highlights galore. Amen. Because that's like all the exactly. draft is, it's just like great plays after great plays of, of one guy in particular. And then the right. next and as, guy. as you get further into the draft, it's you know forty percent of guys you've never even heard of. So it's like new football. It's like watching right. a live game with these highlights because you're like, oh, I've never seen this guy from Lenore Ryan, a school I've never heard of in my entire life. Like, right. Sure, I'll watch some highlights. It's funny. My wife walked into the living room where I watched the draft all weekend long, and I did watch Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Not every yeah. single pick on on Friday and Saturday, but the majority of them. And every time the question was, is this really still on? Oh, well, by Saturday, she's like, you got to be kidding me. Like right. <laughs> Thursday was and fine. Been- Friday was okay. And then by Saturday, we're like, no, you, you got to watch something else. I was like, it starts at noon. It's fine. It'll be You over. know, it's bad because my wife and I have been married now. This will be our, our fifth fifth year being married in October. And we've been together for nearly 10 years. And so I've been watching the draft, the NBA draft, and the NFL draft are two of my favorite sporting events. Uh, and so she's gotten 10 years of this now. And still is like, are you really watching this? And and I am. And I loved every second of it. The draft was so good. And I love each year how more social media gets involved with, with memeing and gifting everything. Everything that happens has some sort of meme and gif. And I thought that it was a great in, a great idea for ESPN to put cameras in all of these players' homes and be able to catch these super raw moments and them to become viral in minutes. Yeah, so it. Uh, so I guess for me, right? Um, I every year I kind of do that to myself almost because every year I'm like, oh, it's the draft. You know, you always watch the first night, at least the first round, and then you, you know, if you're if you're a football guy, you'll probably watch the second round too. But, but then I I just keep reminding myself, like by day three, like even sometimes I had had enough, and that's why. So every year I'm just like. Oh, yes, football content. Normally, I'm not as interested because we have so much other sports to consume, right? Like, there's so much more news and things going on at this point in time than than just the draft. But this year, I think, I mean, way more than other years, I was just way more heavily invested, I guess, in the draft. Like, I didn't even care about, you know, most of the teams I was watching draft players, but I didn't care because, to your point, it was finally just something live I could consume. In a weird point, but also, I mean, I, I was trying to follow, like, you know, my team right now, my my team right now, my team right now and forever, uh, growing up was always the Colts. Uh, you know, you always want to follow the Ravens now because of Lamar. We follow the Panthers now because of Teddy. And then, you know, you have your other, you know, fan favorite teams uh, for you personally. So I had at least, you know, had a handful of teams I could, I could kind of track and follow to see, like, what they were doing. And now I can... Uh, I always enjoy reading the draft grades because one, they kind of vary because everybody loves giving out immediate draft grades, even though any normal person that knows about this will tell you, you can't really assess a draft grade until what, two, three years, maybe sometimes. Two or three years. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So it's one, they're just funny. Cause then you see draft grades and they're like, Oh, total bust. And then two years later, it's just like, wow, what a great value pick. That guy was a genius. Uh, so I'm hoping that's kind of what Ballard's doing. So, you know, I was just taking a peek on, on how the Colts did and how the Ravens did, uh, which apparently they both came out really, really well with uh, just overall and what, and what their draft is. And it sounds like Lamar is getting some weapons, um, which I'm excited about. So they're taking the smart route, unlike Green Bay, who has never given a first-round weapon to uh, their quarterback of, of the last decade. So that's kind of... I didn't understand some of that. So, yeah, I, I enjoy the draft because, like, there's some head scratchers like that, like Green Bay taking the, the love quarterback. Um, right. And then some other ones. So, yeah, I, I had fun because essentially there was nothing else to do. So, <laughs> I mean. What, right, exactly. What else are you going to do besides watch that? 
So in terms of the NFL draft, obviously the big storyline for Louisville fans and for Louisville in general was where Makai Becton was going to go. We, you know, obviously things changed for Makai the last two weeks leading up to the draft with the the diluted sample at the combine that was flagged, and then also that these questions about his weight and whether or not you know the three seventy five three eighty that he was at at one point is sustainable long term, whatever. So it caused Makai to slip a little bit, or we so we thought would that would end up happening. Uh, and at four, I don't know about you, but I felt like the Giants were going to take him. I really did. I don't. I don't know what why that was, but I just felt like New York was going to be the spot for him the first time around, and it didn't happen. Uh, only to go seven picks later to the Jets to a spot where he'll start day one, and you'll be able to see just how significant he is to the offense based off of the improvement for Le'Veon Bell, who was really not good last year. Yeah, and and overall, I'm just happy. Uh, you know, I think I think for us. We've been talking. I, th- I think the safety net, like like from where we expected him to go, was like the top fifteen, uh, at, at at least. So the fact that he stayed there, even with you know that, not it wasn't a failed test. It was a flag test. Flag test could right. have been a couple different things. And by God, yeah, I think it's it's funny to to see the the common person, right? Seeing it from an outside perspective and that news breaking and they're like, Oh crap, he's done. Like, you know, like that's just a, uh, who was the guy from Ole Miss? Um, uh, just the other year, DK Metcalf. No, no, no. Uh, oh, oh, Laramie Tunsil. The, yeah, the yeah. one with the, the smoking the, the bong, bong right before the, the draft started. Yeah. Yeah. So it legendary, you thought it was going to be one of those to where like the top guy slides, you know, you know, a, a solid amount of uh, positions before he's finally taken. It really didn't play out like that. Like the average fan thought, oh man, Makai's in some deep water with uh, with that flag test. And real NFL guys, like you just said, they're like the, the coaches and the, and the personnel and the GMs, they're more worried about the weight thing long-term than they are about he has one flag test at a combine. And the fact that he weighed in at three, I think it was like 363, um, like the day before the draft, like he put it online, which by the way, super smart. If you're about to be drafted, um, to be that online all the time leading up, like whether it's like, Hey, videotape my workout. Hey, videotape me doing this. Like I'm going to interact with a bunch of people, like just showing yourself off any way you can during these weird times before the draft, uh, was awesome to see. But yeah, so I, I thought the giants were going to take him as well. It didn't totally shock me that if, few guards went prior to him because i mean from what i understand like mel kuyper and everybody else makai was in that top four mix some way somehow somebody had him as the first some people had him as you know the second third fourth but whatever you want to call it he was in that top elite uh tackle group and apparently all those four guys there was enough need in the top 15 team wise that we knew he should fall somewhere in there and you know it it wasn't the giants but it was still new york Maybe not the New York that a lot of people like, and maybe the New York that more people make fun of. But you know, it, it's up to you. He's he's a mean green, which is cool. I guess. I'll yeah, support. and I I thought it was really interesting to see how a lot of fan bases leaded out to the draft were very vocal online with no, 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 we don't want Makai, we don't want Makai Becton, you know, this, this, and that, and it just baffles me because we've watched him for three years absolutely dominate other teams to the point it's like oh my god this dude's gonna be the number one pick at some point but that's what happens in the draft though in those teams like nfl fans right they watch a guy for what two days watch his highlight films or anything else like they judge their basis off that guy of who they might potentially pick they have literally like maybe spent half a week like before they came to that determination that no i don't want makai as my first pick for the jets even though, like, it's it's hilarious because the same crap happened with Lamar. We watched him way longer than everybody else. But then the average NFL can't, NFL fan comes along. They're like, oh, well, he's he's not going to be a quarterback. Like, no, that's not going to work. Same thing with Beckton. So it it's funny that people always just rush these assumptions so quickly without actually, you know, seeing, like, the years of work. Like, yes, the highlight – the couple few uh film and highlight reels he has online right now those are great and those are fun but if you like you said if you've diligently watched louisville and diligently watched him the last three years play after play you know he's capable and he's ready to be a day one starter yeah he's absolutely capable of being a day one starter and i talked with um 
the guys over at the Jets Press who are a uh, fan-sided site for the New York Jets and, and ask them, what does he bring and what is the expectation? And the expectation is that he will start from day one as the left tackle and he will be their bookend franchise tackle for Sam Darnold for the next decade. Yeah. Uh, they, they a lot like us, see his ability to be at just how athletic he is, how nasty of a player he is. Um, and they also, I think, sense his character of being a guy who's extremely coachable, very humble, uh, just a, an all-around great person. And I don't know about you, but my, my favorite thing about Makai Becton getting drafted was – um, was watching his household because, you know, if if you've been on Twitter long enough, you've probably interacted with Mekhi Becton's mom, uh, his family at some point. And to get to see his parents experience that moment with him was a really cool thing. Um, and for me, watching his mom just bear hug him to the point of him not even be able to get out of it was just it was such a cool moment. Uh, and I, I was really, really thankful that we got to experience that because in the green room at the at the, the draft, we probably wouldn't get to see that. Yeah, I think also not only was it awesome to watch just the family aspect and not only just Makai, but everybody in general. Um, it was amazing to see. I really thought that was a unique aspect of the draft that a lot of people didn't realize. Um, like I underestimated how cool it would be seeing everybody's family setup I think it made it a lot more intimate I think it made the moment just a lot like that much more special uh for the players and their families and the funny part about my about Makai specifically is that uh since we both follow him on Twitter every single person the Jets drafted after Makai like he was all over Twitter from the moment he got drafted by the Jets he was all over Twitter about every other draft uh about every other Jets recruit and so, like, you started going through some of the mentions of these of these tweets, and, like, Jets fans are already like, dude, you're already a fan favorite, you're the best, you're hilarious, this is awesome. Like, I don't think enough Jets fans actually, like, knew the, which, it's hard if you just found out about a guy, like, a couple days ago, and then your team drafts him. But, like, I think fans are just now realizing that Makai's personality, especially on social media, is just as big uh, as him himself, which is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and I think he's gonna make oh, himself sure. some money in New York with advertising and stuff because he's just like at that size, dude. He's well, just we've such already a big named a, an article dude, after Big Ticket and the Big Apple, the- and I think because I think the Jets were actually one of the first like weird landing spots we had written about even before Presley's recent article about the three updated landing spots. Like, I'm pretty sure like I wrote some sort of weird, and you could have right. changed the heading probably because you always change my titles because I suck at it. But either way. I'm pretty sure I had something about like big ticket, big apple. So there's, if I can come up with that as a normal non-marketing dude sitting in Louisville, Kentucky, I'm pretty sure the pros in New York can come up with something to leverage his, uh, his name, image, and likeness. Yeah. And the other big thing from the weekend was the Ravens. I mean, if we're going to talk about specific NFL teams, I think we would do the ones that matter for Louisville fans and the Ravens. I mean, how could you not say that they were one of the biggest winners of the draft when they get a star linebacker in the first round, they get another star running back in the second round to go with Mark Ingram and those guys and JK Dobbins from Ohio state. And then from there, they're just value picking, like not even picking players that that like fit a need. They're just picking players uh, that are best available and figuring out how to work with it. And Lamar gets J.K. Dobbins. Then he gets uh, Devin Duvernay, the slot receiver out of Texas in the third round. And then late in the draft, this is one of the most untalked about, the, one of the picks that's not talked about enough. They get uh, this kid out of SMU, and I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I think it's Prorsch maybe, but it's uh, he's one of the leading receivers in the country last year in yards and all these big major stats. He, he's from a program, SMU, that produces wide receivers all the time with big numbers, but he goes in the sixth round to the Ravens. This is a guy who could be an instant contributor from day one for them. The Ravens got Lamar everything he needed. That defense is going to be built up. They get fast guys who could make plays. The Ravens have a chance, man, to – I think we were already saying this before the draft, but they've got a chance to compete for a Super Bowl uh, yeah, unlike I mean, I last was, year. Like in, in terms of sleepers, right, like I was already pumped that, that, uh, that the Colts picked up Michael Pittman Jr. Um, like at the beginning of the second round. But, yeah, like to your point, it, I think what – I'm not going to say like how many years it's been, but all you heard is one of the main themes coming into this year's draft was how deep 
the wide receiver class was. And you like hearing it before the draft is one thing, but seeing it unfold on TV is a whole nother thing because I didn't realize even by day two, there was like, uh, apparently there was enough first round caliber talent to fill up one and a half rounds uh, or two full rounds from what I understand. So the fact that not only in a deep wide receiver class, this guy still went, still dropped as far as he dropped. Um, you know, it, it, I hope it's one of those diamond in the rough situations. And I really think, uh, one, I just like Harbaugh in general. I, I think he's an awesome developer of, uh, of talent. So I'm excited to see what they do with that. But yeah, just the fact they care enough to get him immediate weapons. You know, because I made the joke a minute ago about, you know, Green Bay not giving, uh, not giving, what's his name, like any any first round talent to work with. Yeah, like Roger, like they just, I don't Aaron understand Rogers, that. Yeah. Uh, but the fact that the the Ravens like turn around and just start immediate help for, for Lamar and the fact that, I, I know we just mentioned it right before the podcast, but Patrick Queen, that dude is a mauler. And like I really, I really think, yeah, I was yeah, gonna say I, I think what Darius Leonard has become for the Colts, uh, I think Patrick Queen is even more of a plug plug and play version uh, of that. Because I mean, we're talking LSU had one of the nastiest defenses um, in years. Yeah, it's sixty five players drafted. It felt like in that right. draft. I mean, it felt like every other pick was an LSU guy. For the first four or five rounds, right. I mean, so I mean, when really when you like literally that, have crazy. that good of a defense in college, um, and you pick up the captain of that defense, that's that that's a good sign to me. So I think uh, the Ravens are going to be back to being super super mean on defense uh, with hard hitting linebackers, like they uh, used to be known for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so we we talked about the the 2020 draft and the players getting drafted, but I want to ask you your favorite moment from the weekend. Uh, mine was at about 11:30 on Thursday night in the first round when they go to the home of Mike Vrabel, the Tennessee Titans head coach, and he's got what I'm assuming is his two kids in the room with them. One of them dressed in a in a Mr. Freeze costume from The Incredibles. The other one with a mullet that's blonde. And there you've got Mike Vrabel sitting at his computer with a huge chaw spit in his lip, just absolutely killing uh, everything that you oh, would have man, ever thought lipper, about a head coach he, and yeah, what they should be like doing. Like the lipper into, uh, into the cup the right was just the lipper that was, was the crescendo a, it was an a lipper, of like yeah. his entire orchestrative uh, draft setup at his house. Because, yeah, I have no idea what they're doing. Over there, but it looked like he was having fun. So let's 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 power rank this real quick. So the best home office drafting, or, or the top five most memorable. Yeah. How about Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury looking like an absolute boss in this mansion in Arizona? I told I told you guys in the writers group like the things I would do to go and live in that house, even if it's just in a spare bedroom somewhere. Like that place was beautiful. So you had you had Cliff, you got Mike Vrabel with the chaw spits in his mouth and and the lipper. You've got Bill Belichick with the empty table uh, when they go to, they go when he's actually having his husky make the, the picks the table's for him. completely empty. How David Gettleman, right? You've got Gettleman rocking the super rare and much needed N95 PPE mask right, which, by himself in his own house. Nobody else there yeah, like rocking I, the mask. Everybody with his made giant fun of it playbook. at first, but then you know, like once you found out the reason that he has like a you know a high risk person living at his house with him. One, if you're already there with them and you're st- you've already been quarantined for some period of time with that person, I still don't think that's how masks really work. Especially if you're in your own home office, like and no one else yeah. is really walking in. That's just me. I'm not a healthcare expert, but from what I understand, I just don't think that's how you use those. Uh, yeah, and then the the other thing that from the weekend that went viral was the girlfriend of Oklahoma wide receiver C.D. Lamb taking a prime opportune moment to snatch his phone, thinking she was going to get his phone finally, the phone that I bet she's been wanting to look at for quite some time. She was going to get that phone. And the just the, the reflexes to be able to snap the phone while still on the other one, on the phone with the Cowboys as he's getting drafted. Why would you choose that time, There's a reason though. it went Like, viral. you know he's epic. literally really in the – like – those seconds, he's literally getting drafted. 
Like, not leading up to, to getting drafted. Like, he's actually on the phone getting drafted, and then you try to pull that? Like, I get it. Like, one, hell of bravado on her, because, like, I would not have... I guess, but the best part she is... She was going to get even, that phone at some point. That was like, just the catalyst for the deeper rabbit hole story about all that, because that was the first funny part of, of the girlfriend highlights that this draft act... Like, uh, uh, I can't think of the word... Basically, um, they racked up a bunch of girlfriend highlights that are amazing. There's a highlight reel online about it. But And there's even a guy that oh, breaks that down one of the videos, fantastic. which is even more funny. But either way, so the CeeDee Lamb one in particular, right? Come to find out, the girlfriend that tried to pull that and, and snatch CeeDee's phone from her was Trey Young's ex-girlfriend. Because at the same time that happened and went viral, Trey Young retweeted it. Uh, with a comment laughing about it. And then lo and behold, you find out, hey, Trey Young went to Oklahoma. CD's from Oklahoma. Oh my God. This girl has literally experienced more than one draft day already. <laughs> I mean, the guess or like she just starts over once they do go pro and like goes back into college pool to get, to help get them drafted again. You know, like I'm not really not really sure how that <laughs> process works, but clearly like he went to the league, she went back to find another studded Oklahoma. Either way, stories like that kind of blossomed from the NFL draft, and we would have never gotten that had we had a normal NFL draft. As much as I wanted to see Makai ride a boat at the Bellagio, at least there were some there were some silver linings. Oh, that would have been amazing. Like that, and then, yeah, like, if you haven't seen the video of, of the girlfriend literally hugging the guy right in front of the camera, and then the mom just coming over and ripping her from his... From her son on live Amazing. TV, and like, get the hell off my couch. Let me hug my boy. There were some incredible scenes that you just couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't mimic if if it was in Vegas. Look, I'm all for, I'm all for trying to get your shine when you get your one chance on television. But the one person you don't want to, and come the person actually getting drafted, mom, and <laughs> like, too many girlfriends. Right. Too many girls found out the hard way that, look here, you are not more important than me, his mother. I, as my mom would tell me all the time, I birthed you, I raised you, I cleaned that ass of yours. Like, that's their moment. That's the mom's moment. And for that girlfriend to try to take that away from her, right. good for the mom. You've been for putting in work off. for two years. I've been it. putting in work that's for mom, 20. Mom and Why don't you step moment. off? You know? Right. Exactly. All right. So. Every year, it's a tradition unlike no other where the draft ends or the season ends. And the first thing we want to do is take a look at the next event or whatever it is the next year. Um, and I did that over the weekend. I wrote about the 2021 NFL draft. Uh, and I think, Alex, and tell me what you think here on this one. I think over the course of the next two seasons, so the 2021 NFL draft and the 2022 NFL draft, as things stand today without having seen what guys are going to do in 2020, I think Louisville has eight guys on their roster who will be drafted. So, all right. I think we do one. There are draftable people on Louisville's current team. Let's just, let's just start out with that. Cause even that like started getting debatable. Cause some people are like, I don't think there's really like, you know, draftable talent. I think there definitely is in, in one, I think Satterfield is going to continue to unlock that uh, through his awesome offense, because now everybody's kind of on the same page. And everybody we've spoken to uh, thinks that the offense is just going to... Like, last year was almost like a learning curve phase for the offense. And they still did that well, going 8-5, and five, uh, producing, you know, the first running back uh, with over 1,000 yards since Bilal... Bilal... Can you, can you say this? Bilal Powell, thank you. I know yeah, Powell, yes, but I Bilal couldn't, Powell. Powell, Powell. couldn't get the first one. But uh, either way, with him and Tutu, we had basically broken records we haven't seen in decades. And that was with the first-year offense of Scott Satterfield. So I definitely think it's going to only get ramped up for year two. And with that saying that, that produces some crazy numbers, which will produce some draftable talent, in my opinion. Um, and I think we're both on board immediately with the with the wide receivers. Yeah, I think it starts, I think it starts there, and which one 
which receiver in particular is the interesting debate because you have two completely different guys right. who are both going to be draft eligible next season. And the other layer to this is you have a bunch of underclassmen. You've got Tutu Atwell will be a junior next season. At the, that will, will be draft eligible for the first year. Mikel Cunningham will be a redshirt sophomore. Uh, same with Marsha, Marshawn Ford. You've got Dez as a senior. Yeah, so Javian Hawkins also will be a redshirt sophomore. So like there's gonna be a lot of guys who will have to make tough decisions. Um and it's gonna really be dependent upon right, what and that's the production. The two looks main like questions I wanna ask season. you since you've kind of done a little more digging on this than I have. One, if if Hawkins can continue just to do crazy things in college this season, uh make the highlight plays, get even more yards than he had last year, just really just outdoes his production uh and hits his ceiling. What do you think his like is he a draftable prospect from his size alone? Because I think that's what concerns some people when they see Tutu and in, in, in Hawkins. One, in college they can tear up the field, but two, they're just small dudes in general. And and we're not talking, you know, ACC defenses in, in the NFL. We're talking grown ass men, you know, two forty, two fifty, two sixty that can run as fast as half these college kids uh, in skill positions coming after you. So uh, I think that would be my question slash concern to you that I want to ask. Is is it is it a bigger deal for, for Hawkins or is it a bigger deal yes. for Tutu? Uh, I definitely think if you're going to talk about size being an issue, uh, I definitely think that the, the, the more disadvantaged is going to be Tutu Atwell being a, a five foot nine, 150 pound receiver when, you know, his speed obviously is un, uncharted. And I think that he's got a real potential to break the 40 yard uh, dash combine record next year. Yeah, uh, that... But at, at 150 pounds, man, I, I don't know how many hits somebody can take from a six foot two, four, a 300 pound defensive end, or, you know, a, a five foot 11, right, 250 pound linebacker. Like there's only so much that, that, that can, you know, be with right because that was a concern for Lamar. So many people that size going into the league, and he's already significantly bigger and stronger than Tutu was. You know, and and so if they're concerned about him being a slender yeah. frame, what does that say about Tutu? But also, you look at these guys. Because um, to your point, you were kind of looking ahead for next year's way too early potential mock drafts, which got me super excited because you mentioned to me that one of the things you saw uh, was that uh, Rondale Moore. Which we will not, you know, not going to upset anybody talking about Rondale Moore. But if he comes to the Colts and my team, absolutely, I'm going to be a fan of his again. And he's only 5'9". I did not realize, like, I knew he was short. Uh, but one thing that surprised me is that you said he could really be, like, the Colts' next T.Y. Hilton. And I was like, yeah, that's great, but Rondale is, is pretty short. And then I looked it up. T.Y. Hilton's only 5'10". So, I mean, it, you can... And he's had right. That's shocking, isn't right. it? And, and, right. And I would so have besides, to your point, at least. I think the injuries are starting to pop up and get more consistent with Ty. But when he's on the field, I mean, the dude is is a threat every every snap of the ball. Um, so I mean, I, I definitely think it's not going to be an impossible situation. I think we talked uh, in in the Slack group about like if if Tutu can get his weight up to like one seventy five, one eighty. Um, muscle-wise and strength-wise, which DJ, one of our writers, said he was a track guy at Louisville, so obviously, you know, we rely on our experts when talking about certain things. And he basically said that you can add that amount of weight uh, muscle-wise without reducing any of that speed. And I know that was one thing that also I think a lot of people were concerned about when when you think back to – you know, to Lamar entering the league. One, because of his slender frame, is he going to get injured – Two, once he did add that weight for last year, people were like, okay, that's great. He bulked up some. Will he slow down at all? And I think, you know, he answered that by winning the MVP. So I don't think that, yeah, not slowing down at all. So I think yeah, that kind not of made me feel better about Tutu's situation. But also, okay, so Tutu's one thing. And you said Tutu has, I, I might have get this wrong, he has more of an uphill battle than Javion Hawkins or, or less of one. Yeah, okay. I, I would go with. I would say too. A lot of running backs are up, shorter in general battle anyways, because so, I mean, you know, he's got a right, and 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 I'll get to Hawkins here in a second. But with Tutu, you know, he is going to be a 
you know, in a slot receiving role, you're going to have right. to play over the middle of the field quite often. And when you're that right, size, you get drilled one you're really an good time worse. in the wrong spot. Yeah, um, I agree. Right. And right. But at the same time, though, I, I think that it's it's not impossible. His speed is such a factor and he can be a Tyreek Hill type guy at the next level with more weight because of how fast he is straight line and side to side. And, and he's, he's really kind of developing into a, a, not just somebody who can hit the go route and go, but somebody who takes pride in their route running in their hands. And yeah, he's got some improvements to make, but, but his, the biggest thing for him is going to be uh, just making sure that he can get his weight to the level where the NFL can right, be which, okay with that. And coaches will feel comfortable. Oh, I was just going to say, like, as, as far, I've but, never had a problem ahead, with growing ahead. up, but from what I understand, um, it is harder to gain weight. Uh, you know, being a super, right. super athletic, skinny, uh, like just naturally slender frame like Tutu is. Um, so I think it's it, when right. when people think of adding muscle, it's like, oh, okay, well, just a couple, you know, additional calorie shakes a day or something like that. Like, no, there's way more that goes into it. And I think, I think the Lovey Jenkins, uh, I forgot who wrote it. It could have been uh, like Cameron Teague of, of the Courier Journal or something. But basically they did a highlight uh, when Lovey Jenkins committed uh, to Louisville, the first thing they did was Mike Saragano put him on a on a weight gaining program, and so he had him eating like crazy stuff. That was my favorite part of the article. Like uh, he had to start like two giant chicken tacos with like stuffed with like uh, mac and cheese inside and stuff. He's like, I don't even like mac and cheese, and I have to eat this like twice a day, all this stuff. So like they have to, you have to work to actually gain weight uh, sometimes. Because if you remember, like. Uh, Another quick example was uh, Patino getting super, super pissed at uh, Honest Mahmood because Honest Mahmood went, I think he went back to his uh, back to Egypt uh, for holidays and it, he was only gone like a couple weeks, I think. And he dropped like 15, like something crazy, like dropped 15 pounds um, and, and they had worked like all summer or something to like get his weight up. And because he just didn't eat enough while he was gone, he just went right back down just like that. So it, it's it's a hard thing to maintain, from what I understand, like for for those kind of guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't have that problem. And in, in terms of dude, I, I looked at a pizza last week. About anything that I eat, it seems looked like at I, a pizza I take last week. I think I gained like everything. half a pound. Yeah, and, and so when you talk about Javian Hawkins at the NFL, I think that that he's absolutely going to be uh, an NFL running back, and because of again, it's the same thing with Tutu. His speed is just undeniable. Um, and a guy who showed you last year that, that he can do it in a variety of ways. He can do it outside in the zone run. He can do it inside. He can go in between the tackles. Uh, but when you're five foot nine, 196 pounds, and you're uh, an every down back like he is at Louisville right now, at the NFL, that's not going to translate. You can, he's not going to be able to go in and take 20 to 25 carries a game. And so he's going to become a specialist or a rotation guy. And the one thing that I get worried about with Javian Hawkins is I have at least what I haven't seen yet because they didn't show it in the offense last year. They've not run a whole lot of plays where they are intending to dump the ball down to Javian Hawkins uh, in the passing game. And I think that when you're that small and you and you're you're kind of a specialist, your speed, you need to be able to be a route runner, be a guy who can get in the slot, be a guy who can come out of those pistol and offset formations and and get open and and pick up twenty to thirty yards or, or off screens. I mean. They didn't do that at all this year at Louisville. I think he right. had like two catches. Um, and so as long as Javian um, can prove that, mm-hmm. that he's a that he's able to catch the football uh, and be a receiver, that's when I think you're going to see his stock go up. And that's why well, and that's this season similar is going to be super um, important for him. Like, I think the only – like don't get me wrong. I'm super excited about, about the pick, and I know this is kind of random, but it, I promise it has a point. So the Colts drafted Jonathan Taylor. I think they moved up from 44th to 41st uh, to get Jonathan Taylor, which is probably the top running back in this year's draft because, I mean, he set top five NCAA records at Wisconsin uh, for the amount of yards he's accumulated over the last three years. Um, But to that point, one of the big knocks he had was just – because of the way Wisconsin's offense is set up, he didn't really have to catch a lot of passes out of the backfield. And that has become a really big thing for NFL teams that um, they don't, they want to like teach you how to do that. Like you should already like come from a system or have experience catching a ball, catching the dump passes, doing stuff like that. And if you don't, I guess, I don't know why it's a knock now. Cause it seems like they're athletic enough to be able to learn at least how to catch like a, 
a pass. You know, like it to me, it just doesn't seem like that big of a knock if a guy was in a system that just didn't do it. Uh, but to your point, because they haven't seen it, then yeah, it's a knock exactly. on them because it's just it's one less thing they don't know if you can do or not. And so you, yeah. So it, I understand. Yeah, that. So and, that, and it's that kind of hurts them as well, uh, just because when you're that short, anything extra becomes like that much more of of like a red flag almost, you know. Right. And just because right. we haven't seen it, like you said, doesn't mean he can't do it. And Scott Satterfield talked a lot last year about a couple of things that they needed to do, and they never were able to do them. One of them was we got to dump the ball down to our running backs. We got to figure out how to get them involved in the passing game. He said that four or five different times, and it just never happened. Same thing can be said about Des Fitzpatrick. They, I don't know how many times they said we got to be able to target the to target the receivers outside. We got to be able to get the ball to Des to Seth right. to make plays down the field and not always rely on Tutu. And they, they it was year one. Those are the wrinkles right. that you're going to yeah. see added in in year two. And that that brings me right into Des. I, I spent a good amount of time talking to Des's father, Greg, Shout this, this weekend. Fitz. He's a friend of the show and of the site. And I, I just wanted to get an understanding of, of where Dez is as a wide receiver when it comes to the NFL. And when I when I look at Louisville's roster, he is a guy who, if it wasn't for 2018 and the, the problems that the offense faced, um, and 2019 him only getting targets so often, um, right. I think 2020 is going to be a huge, huge mm-hmm. year for Dez because yep. he needs production. He needs targets. And if Dez can, can get those targets – um, and and can get the balls that he needs in the spaces he needs, he can be a 1,000-yard receiver and a first-round pick. He has every talent, every skill that you could ever want in a wide receiver. He He's a complete a complete player, um, and I think that that's what we have to figure out this year with Louisville's offenses. How do you have Tutu going for 1,200 yards and also get Dez involved for more than a couple of games? He had three games last season with more than four targets, like yeah. at four catches. That's – that's brutal when right. that's and, your and best, I, one of your best I really players. do think from what we've seen last year to what we've heard about this year, I think a huge, huge piece of that is what we keep going back to with the fact that last year was just the initial phase of the offense. I think we're going to see not a whole new version of, of what we did last year, but we're just going to see a much more creative, um, much quicker version. Because I think when you're talking about the tiny wrinkles with Javion Hawkins catching more dump passes, with Des Fitzpatrick having more opportunities to catch balls, I think honestly that just comes down to everyone understands the offense that much better. And so they're not starting from a, a just right. general foundation point like they did last year of here's how a spread zone offense works. This year they already know what the hell they're doing. They're already doing the plays that they were killing last year and they're adding new things in so this is going to be like that's why I'm, I'm i'm so pumped just in general for louisville on on the football side with with just the big theme for me in my head has been continuity because that is something that we really haven't seen uh for a while whether that is uh, whether that's on the defensive side of the ball because i know we said brian brown is the first defensive coordinator to be a louisville for two years straight in the last well since uh yeah, since since yeah, since, since exactly. Grantham so I mean, was when here you're t- for two years, I think people just forget that, like, yes, even though Bobby was here for longer, our coordinators just really like some. Just, we've had a bad luck string of just like mediocre to 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 just bad coordinators, and they don't stick around very long. So I'm really hoping that now that we have a a competent, confident, up and coming defensive coordinator like Brian Brown. Uh, that he sticks around just for a couple more years. Like I really hope we can get the staff for a couple more years. Cause guys like Dwayne Lefford, guys like court Dennison, um, you know, even Scott Satterfield is going to start getting some calls if he hasn't already. And I know he said like, this is, you know, he's cool with this being his forever home. And I'm, I'm glad to hear it. But as a Louisville fan, it's not like we haven't heard that before. And then things change eventually. So I think continuity for me in year two is going to be massive. Uh, it's going to help out Dez. It's going to help out Javion. It, it's going to set them up for, for being draftable for teams. Uh, and I th- also think it's it's going to help Louisville out on the defensive side of the ball um, just to look like a more competent team in general. Because if we're already starting out the season ranked, like, holy shit, what does that tell you uh, from year one to year two? I mean, like, that's huge. 
Yeah, and some of the other names to, to watch for. So I wrote about five, and I'll let you guys read at the site, BigRedLouis.com, who those five are. But a couple of guys that I would keep an eye on, and it may not be this year. It may be next year for some of these guys. But here are some guys that I'm watching for as potential draft uh, potential draftees in the next few years, one of them being um, Russ Yee's potentially next year. I think uh, C.J. Avery is going to be one of them. And then when you start to talk about low-key under the radar – uh, Marshawn Ford at tight end, man. If he can, if he can get involved in the offense this year and prove he's a vertical guy as much as he is East and West, I mean, led yeah, the ACC like, in touchdowns after being a walk. I just hope that story go, he can like, do in continues. Like that's Not the whole thing. Dude, I just want this story to keep going. Yeah, it's right, that's the draft story. story. You heard all these, like from from rags to riches. Like I want him to f- make exactly, the full circle right. and just blow this whole thing out of the water. And he has the tools to do it too. Like the. The guy's a Look, freak. Dude, I'll be quite honest if you watch with him, you. like I don't know how he went under the radar like he did. But right, so Louisville's Louisville has put uh, a couple of NFL tie, a couple of tight ends in the NFL. Gary Barnage, mm-hmm. most notably, then obviously Cole Hickatini and Gerald Christian. But Louisville has not had a blocking tight end as good as Marshawn Ford. And when you look at these offenses that are running these offset pistols with, with H backs in the, the backfield, Marshawn Ford can seal the edge mm. and is a nasty blocker and he can right. catch the football. And the dude runs like a receiver. I mean, you and I in that Notre Dame game, he scored the two touchdowns in that game. We were like, what? Like, who's that fast kid? I've never even seen him before. And he's playing tight end. Uh, and then the other one is Mikhail Cunningham. And I think that's a really interesting topic because it seems like every time we record, Alex, there's more stats that come out that Mikhail Cunningham is a really good quarterback, whether it's his ability to pass in the pocket or his completion percentage, his, his QB efficiency. Like all of these stats are leading us to believe not only is he going to be one of the biggest breakout quarterbacks next year, but he's potentially got an NFL future with everything that's going on in the modern NFL with run-first quarterbacks. And you already know this because I say this about once a week. The most hated stat I think I've ever seen came from last year uh, when we found out after the bowl game that Mikhail was one freaking pass short of qualifying for all these national major statistics that would have put him literally in the conversation um, for top five QBs in, in some of these production areas. Uh, and I think one of them was, uh, I think, what, in, unless you just said it, like j- just straight up passing, passing efficiency, one throw short. And that's because he was injured in, in some of the games. And, and so literally, like you think about all the opportunities that he missed that just one more pass would have put him in these categories. He was literally behind Joe Burrow for the nation's top passing efficiency. Like, in, in the fact that all these stats are now coming out to where they're qualifying Mikael Cunningham in, in terms of ratings and all this stuff, but then they make a note and a footnote at the bottom saying he is the only quarterback with these kind of ratings that has uh, the skill position production coming back as well. Because no other quarterback that is showing his efficiency stats and ratings of a quarterback has a 2-2 Atwell coming back, has a Javion Hawkins coming back. Like, we have weapons around him uh, that are only going to help him get better. Yeah, and I don't know if he showed – I think last year, obviously, he showed the ability to be able to throw the football really well, be accurate downfield, but I don't think in the moderate to to short passing game he showed a ton of efficiency. I think he struggled there a lot of the times. Like getting the ball to Dez, for example, is a perfect thing. Um, And then, you know, when you look at his ability to – to, 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 you know, play under center when you look at, uh, you know, some of the things that would that would need to be there, you know, natural instincts as a thrower. I don't necessarily know if he has that. I'm not a quarterback talent evaluator by any means, but, you know, you see quarterbacks who just, like, never miss the open guy mm-hmm. and always see what's happening on the field before it happens. And, right. you know, it was only year one with him really as the starter because 2018 doesn't count for him because that was just unfair what Petrino asked him to do. Uh, but in 2019, I think we saw a glimpse of him – potentially being a much better quarterback than we ever thought he could have been because last year, the summer going into the the 2019 season, we're like, yeah, but he can't even throw the ball five yards. Like, yeah, he's a great runner, super athletic, but he really can't throw the football. And you're asking him to go out and run an offense. You know, maybe, I don't know. Well, it's really going to take a lot of work, but you know, clearly the connection that him and Frank Ponce had, whatever it was, it worked because he was sensational and with more time, more opportunity, you know, less drop balls. Think about how many balls the receivers dropped. Yep. Like two, two Atwell dropped two touchdowns against Clemson. 
Like there was, I know there's drops. That's always going to be evident uh, and part of football. But like there's there's going to be more opportunity for Mikhail to really shine this year. Um, and if it's done right, like Mikhail, Dez, Javian, these guys can all get better and become better NFL prospects without like it's not like Tutu can, can right. get better and be an NFL prospect, but that's going to hurt Dez. Like this year, the staff has got to figure out how to get every single one of these guys involved because they've got a top 15 caliber team uh, specifically on offense. The defense obviously needs work, but like they've got dudes. And I think that, that as long as Satterfield can continue the development, Louisville's going to have guys drafted for the next couple of years because they shockingly, they had, they had talent on the roster. So, um, you know, it was cool getting to watch Makai be drafted. I think next year we're going to go back to, um, you know, seeing four and five guys get drafted for Louisville in 2021 and i think that well, that's a big deal it, for the it sounds future. super cliche to say this because i guess technically every athlete in college you know it it's in their hands in, in terms of you know like their destiny but to what you're saying with mikhail like this literally is like he he is holding his fate in terms of football like in his hands this season because he knows he when you already go into the season knowing you're the guy not not practicing as the backup not coming off a knee injury over summer when you were like competing for the starting spot. Like when you know you're the guy, you've been taking the first string reps, you've been doing all this. I think he understands that like this is a make or break year for him and he controls it. You know, like that's the thing. Like it's not up to the coaches. Maybe like maybe they'll see him a starting quarterback. Like, no, no, no. They already know. Like this is totally up to you and what you do on the field this year. And there's enough talent around you to, like you said, I know there's one football. But we have enough weapons to where everybody can successfully get their get their own uh, in in terms of stats and yardage and highlights, um, and still come away with everybody being drafted. I mean, I really do think like it's it's not a like you said like one person yeah. isn't going to hurt the other. Like I think this offense is going to run well enough because Tutu's not going to do the same thing as Dez. Dez isn't going to do the same thing as Javion Hawkins and all that stuff. So I really am just excited to see what a year two more efficient and dangerous offense under Satterfield looks like. Yeah. And it, you know, depending on the decisions of the underclassmen next, next year after the season for the NFL draft, you know, we could be talking about 2021 season with all of these guys coming back. Sands, uh, Des, you could be talking about an even better offensive year in those guys, senior and junior years, like with Mikhail Cunningham as a redshirt senior, Javian Hawkins as a redshirt junior, Tutu Atwell as a senior. And that's when you're likely to see the defense come along and you've got a really good defense in year three. Uh, so we're just we're just getting we're getting started here in the NFL draft with Louisville. I think Scott Satterfield and the, the staff there is going to continue to produce the talent that's needed to get to the the next level. The size thing right. is always going to be an issue because they play undersized, and you see in the NFL, you know, they're going to some of these more positionless type things where versatile players can play linebacker and safety or quarterback and tight end. And um, I think that that's going to be one of the things that's really going to be interesting to watch with Satterfield and and how they how they evolve over the next couple of years. So we're going to step away here, but, but first I want to, I want to of course send our condolences as a site for Alex and I, um, over the weekend, Louisville lost, uh, signee Dexter rents, um, to a shooting in Orlando in his hometown, just an absolutely devastating, um, piece of news and something that you never want to see, obviously with an 18 year old losing their life in, in such a senseless way. Uh, so our prayers are out to the Rents family, to the Louisville football program, and their first major tragedy with with the, the new coaching staff. Um, and during this time, you, you just you hate to see that because you know no one should ever lose their life to things like that. So for myself and Alex, the whole team, we send our prayers to the Rents family. We thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we'll catch you all soon.